paradoxes. Turn in your Bibles to Deuteronomy chapter number 9. I'll get there in just a minute. Uh, There's another statement that I want to base the message on tonight, and I'll refer to it later in the message, 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse number 10, where Paul said, For when I am weak, then I am strong. And the paradox tonight is weak, yet strong. Uh, I can't remember exactly who it was that made the the statement. I, it might have been uh, Teddy Roosevelt. I think he said, It's not the size of the dog in the fight, but the size of the fight in the dog that counts. Well, you know, that's true in a lot of things other than dogs. Bigger isn't always better, and strength isn't always power, and we need to understand that. So, Let's look at both sides of this issue and start with the fact that there can be weakness in strength. There can be weakness in strength. I've often said that if you look back through the Old Testament, you'll notice that and every single person failed. Now, I realize the Bible doesn't record anything negative about Daniel and Joseph, but But don't let that fool you. They were not perfect. The Lord just chooses not to give us any negative information about them. But everybody else, going back to Abraham, the father of faith, you know, and you go back to him and you just look down the list and and you see that at some point in time all of them failed. And basically they all failed in their strong point. It was in their strength they became weak. We think about Abraham and his great faith. What what did he do? He doubted God. He failed to trust God, to believe that God was going to take care of things when he got down in Egypt and he lied about Sarah and so forth. And, of course, you think about David, a man after God's own heart. And what does he do? Well, you know, don't you? And Solomon and, and all of them. So the Bible gives us several examples and And uh, I just jotted down a a few that I wanted you to think about tonight. And the first example of how there can be weakness in strength is found here in regards to the giants in Canaan's land. Here in Deuteronomy chapter number 9, let me get there somewhere, I lost my page. Verse number 1, let's start there. Hear, O Israel, thou art to pass over Jordan this day to go in to possess nations greater and mightier than thyself. Great uh, cities great and fenced up to heaven. A people great and tall, the children of the Anakins, and whom thou knowest, and of whom thou hast heard say, Who can stand before the children of Anak? Understand therefore this day, that the Lord thy God is he which goeth over before thee. As a consuming fire, he shall destroy them, and he shall bring them down before thy face, and so, and, and so shall thou drive them out and destroy them quickly, as the Lord hath said unto thee. Speak not thou in thine heart after that the Lord thy God has cast them out from before thee, saying, For my righteousness the Lord hath brought me in to possess this land. But for the wickedness of these nations, the Lord doth drive them out from before thee. Now, whenever we think about 
this strong, tall breed of people, if you please, there in Canaan, the sons of Anak. And as far as the children were concerned, and really every other nation and everyone, you know, uh, nobody measured up. They all seemed inferior. And yet with all of their strength, God says what? I'm going to bring them down. You see, as strong as they were, they were no match for God whatsoever. Then we find an example with Samson, don't we? Here is a man that could do, with God's help, absolutely amazing things. A man that, with the jawbone of an ass, could slay a thousand Philistines. Here is a man that, that, that it seemed like that nobody could conquer him, and yet a weak woman brought him down. With all of his strength, there was weakness. We think about on the other side of good and bad, of course, Goliath. And he seems to be undefeatable. I mean, nobody wanted to go up against Goliath until little David went out there, you know, and he accepted the challenge and, and uh, defeated the giant. So even in the, in the strength of the giant, there, there was weakness. I, I think about Absalom, for example. The Bible tells us that Absalom, and think about this, a man that would turn his back, you know, on, on, on David himself. And Absalom won the hearts of the people. In other words, he had the majority of the votes, so to speak. And David is out and Absalom is in. And here is a man that, that, that has everything going for him except for the fact that he is made weak in the sense that he's wrong with God. You see, you can be right about everything else and wrong with God, and you're weak. I don't care how strong you are. And I think about Second Samuel chapter number 18. I remember many years ago, Brother Lester Roloff preaching a message entitled, The Mule Walked On. And you'll remember, oh, Absalom, of course, he had his great big fancy hairdo, and, uh, you know, he had been to the hairstylist, I guess, and and anyway, he, he's riding his mule and it got caught in the thorns of a tree and there he hung, there hang, hanging defenseless there from, from the branches of a tree. And the Bible says, and the, and the mule walked on, the mule just kept going and he's hanging there. And so one of the servants of David comes along and, and, and kills him. And so here's a man that has the strength of numbers and the influence and the power and everything else. And, and, and yet, with all of that strength, there, there is evidence of his weakness. You look back through history and there's Alexander the Great. Now, here's a man that cried because there's no more worlds to conquer. Here is a man that, that, that everybody feared. It seemed nobody could conquer him. And yet, at the age of 33, he died of a fever. What man could not do with a sword, God did with a fever and got rid of him. I think about Napoleon, of course, and here is a man that showed no mercies to his enemies whatsoever. His, uh, his advisors projected that in the Russian campaign that it would cost or could cost up to a million of his men and with a cynical smirk on his face, he said, What are a million men to me? But in the end, 
in the end, he died out on what Mount on St. Helena Island or something like that. I mean, he dies out there all alone and, and uh, in exile, has control of nothing. And so we see how God brings people down in their strength. There is weakness. And you look back through history of, of the Assyrians and the, and, you know, and all of the, all of the nations that have ruled and reigned, the mighty empires. We think about the Roman Empire and the Greeks and so forth. And at one time, they seemed to have the strength that nothing whatsoever could bring them down. And yet, in spite of all of that, there is a demonstration of weakness. Now, the other side of the coin is where we really want to focus tonight is that there can be strength in weakness. Now, weakness takes many different forms. For one thing, there's the weakness of old age. I I think about Abraham and Sarah and over in the book of Romans, and these are verses that you're very familiar with, but you might want to look at them tonight. Romans chapter number 4, and here we think about God's promise to Abraham that he's going to have a son, and it seemed absolutely impossible at the time. And the Bible even says that Sarah laughed whenever she heard that. But then in verse 19 of chapter 4 of Romans, it says, And being not weak in faith, he considered not his own body, now dead, when he was about a hundred years old. Think about that. Neither yet the deadness of Sarah's womb. He staggered not at the promise of God through unbelief, but was strong in faith, giving glory to God, and being fully persuaded that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. And, of course, we know there are many other verses that that has reference to this. But there is the weakness of of old age, the, the time in your life that that you think to yourself, you know, I, I, I'm past my prime. I can't be used of God anymore. Just this last week, I had a conversation with someone that was in that very situation. They had reached a place in their life that they absolutely felt useless. That, that why am I even here? You know, I can't do this. I can't do that. And so forth. And, 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 and by the way, let me tell you, what happened to that person can happen to any of us at a certain stage in our life. We get to thinking, you know, well, I can't be of any any real use to God. But the Bible shows evidence to the contrary. That even in the weakness of our old age, and the, and the psalmist said, they shall still bring forth fruit in their old age. Caleb proved that. Don't you just love the story of Caleb and, and he said, I want that mountain. I want that mountain. Now, I'm sure the people looked at him and said, what are you talking about, old man? I mean, it's time for you to retire. You've already got everything that you need. And, and, and yet he said, I want that mountain. And he said, I'm as strong this day as I was, uh, uh, you know, as a young man. I, what did he say, 80 years ago or whatever it was, you know? Uh, I, I, I can do it. And, and he, he went out and he conquered it. And uh, that's the attitude that we need. In, even in old age, there can be strength. And we need to understand that strength and the weakness of old age. But then there is weakness in youth. 
Whereas, you know, in our old age, there is a certain kind of weakness. Even among young people, there is a weakness. And uh, what, you know, what the... Uh, what the old people lack in strength, they make up for with wisdom. But whenever it comes to the young people, you know, they have the strength, but they don't necessarily have the wisdom that they need. And we think about the people in the Bible that were young people that God used. I, I think about Gideon, and it says that he was the least in his family. I mean, he was the most unlikely of all of them to really be used mightily of God. And even though he was the least in his family, yet God used him to do wondrous things. I think about David. I mean, here's a little old David. Nobody even suspected that that there was any hope whatsoever that David could uh, in any way conquer the enemy of Israel. And you know the story how that whenever Samuel was there and God's directing Samuel the prophet and he's engaged in a conversation, you know, with David's dad and they're talking about his boys. And he said, yeah, I've got all of these. And he said, uh, that all you got? Oh, no, I got, I got one little ruddy kid over here, you know. And, uh, but uh, he's probably thinking you, you, you couldn't use him. He won't be of any use. And it's like the Lord said, you know, that, that's the one I want. I want the one that that everybody thinks is too weak to do the job. That's exactly who I want. I, I think about Daniel. And here is a young man taken as a teenager into Babylonian captivity. And even at, at that early age, God used him mightily and groomed him and put him in a position that, physically speaking, you know, he became the one that was able to to deliver his people. So whether our weakness is that of old age or whether our weakness is that of being young, there is strength in that. Uh, And, and of course, that all depends upon uh, the attitude of our heart. Now let's get down to our, our key verse tonight, 2 Corinthians chapter number 12. And I said there is the weakness of old age, there is the weakness of young, being young, but then there is also a weakness of the body. And Paul is going through just that. Here in chapter 12 of 2 Corinthians, and he's talking about the the thorn in his flesh, this physical affliction that he has. And, and he said in verse number 8, he said that he besought the Lord thrice that it might depart from me. Now, if anybody knew how to get through to God, it was Paul. If anybody deserved a blessing from God, it was Paul. If anybody knew how to pray, it's Paul. And three times he says, I've asked God to take this away, and he just won't do it. So what did God do? Well, look at verse 9. And he... That's God. And he said unto me, My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in my infirmities, that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Now, now notice that Paul did not look upon his infirmities, his reproaches, his needs, 
his persecution, his distresses, and all of those things that he mentions. He didn't look on, on any of those things as being his enemies, but rather as his friends to help him on his journey. In other words, he did not consider these to be these what we call problems to be bonds to keep him from his objective, but rather as an aid to assist him in reaching his goal. Now, that's just the opposite of the way that we naturally tend to look at our difficulties, right? And we read something like this, and over and over again, there's several verses I could read where, well, just look there at the last part of verse 9. Most gladly, therefore, will I glory in mine infirmities. How can you do that? You know, how, how can you rejoice and, and, and glory in the, in the problem areas of your life, the painful things of your life? You see, that's contrary to what we've been taught. It's contrary to the way that we feel. You know, it's inconsistent with our natural feelings. We, we're just prone to complain when things are going bad. And, and we've been taught by others that, you know, that we're justified. I mean, you just listen to people and, and, and everybody has an excuse for their failure. Oh, yeah, well, I failed, you know, but, you know, I, I failed because of this or that, you know, blame Bush. You know, blame, blame somebody else. Don't, don't ever own up to it. Just blame somebody else, you know. And that's been going on for, for years and years and years, of course. Well, so how could it be? Well, here's how. This is why we can rejoice in our tribulations just like Paul did. Number one, I want to give you four things and I'll be through. Number one, it causes us to realize our weakness and our needs. Our weakness and I, we're, we're not as strong as we think we are sometimes. And there are a lot of times, I'm, I'm convinced a lot of times we don't pray about things. Why? Because we think we can handle it. We think we can work it out. Oh yeah, I've got this problem, but I've been through it before. I know how to deal with it. You know, I can get through it. Now, now, now regardless of the nature of the problem, it's always a mistake to assume that it's not big enough for us to ask God for His help. That's a mistake. Every problem that we have ought to be a reason for us to admit this is bigger than I am. This is stronger than I am. I am too weak to deal with this. And so we see our weaknesses and see our needs. And by the way, that's the first step in solving the problem. That's the first step in getting the victory. You've got to recognize that you have a problem before you'll ever solve the problem. You can't help a drunk until he admits that he's a drunk. And as long as he denies that, there's nothing in this world that you can do. Just the other day, talking about a situation, and I, I'm not at liberty to go into any kind of a detail whatsoever, but this particular person is on drugs and stealing stuff in order to get drugs and so on and so forth. This particular person has lost their job. They're, I could go on and on a bunch of stuff that is just mind-boggling and and about to lose his marriage and his explanation to his parents and what have you is what's the big deal about it? it you know, uh, it, it's, it's, you know, my life, it's not a big deal. 
you know, I'm stealing, but, you know, not a big deal. In, in other words, I, I don't see anything wrong with it. I can handle this. You know, it makes me feel good to do it, and I, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it. It's so sad when you, when you can't get through to people and help them to see what their need is. But I tell you, God has a way of bringing us down sometimes that, because a lot of times we're not, we're not really aware of our weaknesses until God pulls the rug out from under us and there we lay flat of our back looking up to heaven and realize we can't get up. And uh, boy, do we need God. Secondly, it compels us to seek God's help. We not only see our weakness, but in the scene of our weakness, we come to realize that we need help and we need God's help. Now, anything that will make us aware of our need of God's help is something that's good for us. As painful as chastisement is, it is a wonderful thing if that's what it takes for us to turn to God. And so we see the need of God's help because we see our weakness. Then number three, it creates experiences in our life from which we learn valuable lessons. Remember the psalmist said, before I was afflicted, I went astray. But he said, but now have I kept thy statutes. In other words, I'm walking in the straight and the narrow now. But before I was afflicted, I I, I went astray. So whenever we go through those difficulties, whenever we face hard times in our life, it creates an experience that we can learn from. And, And, you know, we can't change everything, right? I mean, whether it's a mistake that we make, a sin that we commit, or, or whatever it is, a lot of things we can't control and we can't change. But the important thing is that we learn something from what we go through. And when we do, then that thing that is in the category of bad stuff, all of a sudden it becomes good stuff. I mean, who would ever think that a thorn in the flesh... Something that's tormenting the Apostle Paul, something inflicting pain on the man of God, how can that be good? Well, it was very good. It was very good. Why? Because it kept his heart from being lifted up with pride that would have ruined him. Aren't you glad that God knows what we need even when we don't? And so a lot of times we're scratching our head wondering why God lets this happen and that happen. Well, it's it's like like I've often said, you know, if we were as smart as God, we would want the same thing that He wants for us. We're just not that smart to figure it out sometimes. But then there's a fourth thing that we need to realize, and it's this. That in these trials and afflictions, in these times of weakness in our life, not only does it help us to see our needs and our weakness, not only does it help us see our need of God, not only does it create an experience that we can learn something from, but it puts us in a situation to where God can use us. Now, you think about the Apostle Paul, and that's who we're talking about here, and turn over to the book of Philippians, chapter number 1 for a moment. Philippians chapter number 1, remembering that as Paul writes this, he is in prison. Remembering, you know, at this stage of his ministry, it all seems to be over. 
and, And surely Paul, being a human being, must have thought to himself, you know, my glory days are over, my ministry is through, you know, what now? Here I am, an old man in prison, I'm helpless, what can I do? And I want you to notice what he says in verse 12 of chapter 1. As he writes to the, to the Philippians, he says, But I would ye should understand, brethren, that the things... I wish I had time to talk about that, and you go back and look at the different things he mentions the things, every bad thing you can imagine, the things which happened unto me have fallen out, rather, under the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest, made known in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord waxing confident and notice this, in other words, the Christians there in Rome, they're looking on and they, they, they know Paul is in prison. Everybody in the palace is talking about that man down there in prison. They're all talking about it. And they wax confidence, notice, by my bonds, seeing me where I am, watching what I do. He says, Waxing confident by my bonds are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Wow, you tell me God didn't use Paul there in that prison? Uh, you know, there might be some, in some ways, maybe this is the greatest part of his ministry. I don't know. It's up to God to measure stuff like that. But there he is in prison. He is weak. He is sickly. And, and with all of this going on, and you, you know, you can imagine maybe some of the other preachers that are out going up and down the highways and they're holding their evangelistic campaigns and their churches are growing and boy, in the eyes of the world, it looks like these men are are great successes. And believe it or not, some preachers are guilty of comparing themselves with others. And there are a lot of a lot of pastors of the mega churches that you know. It's I remember an article I wrote many years ago in one of the largest churches in the nation at that time. Uh, it was Landmark Baptist up in Cincinnati, Ohio, and John Rawlings was the pastor of that church, and I'd written an article, and uh, he got up and he shook that paper that I'd written before the congregation, and he read part of it. He said, that's them little dogs barking at us big dogs. I wish I'd have been there. Maybe it's better off I wasn't there. He said that because they, they had a congregation of thousands and thousands, and well, I had a congregation of a hundred and some over there on Mount Adams, you know, way up on that hill, right downtown Cincinnati, and you know, no nobody knew about us. Everybody knew about them in some way. Some way that's supposed to make him better than me and them better than our church. And uh, it's an upside down, messed up world that we live in. But I'm saying all that for a reason. You got to know that there are some preachers out there in churches that are prospering 
and, and, and preachers that are not going through what Paul's going through, and they're thinking to themselves, I've got it better than he does. I've got a, oh, I've got a retirement program where I'm at. I've got a, you know, I, I've got a, uh, you know, I, I've got a vehicle provided for me where I'm at. They, they provide my chariot for me or, you know, whatever. They think they've got it better than him. But when it come time for God to use a man to start writing the books of the Bible, who did God choose? He chose the very same man that he tormented with a thorn in the flesh, the Apostle Paul. And it was out of his weakness that he became strong. And I'm telling you, folks, whenever, look, whenever we're doing our best to serve God and bad things happen to us, we don't need to, to worry about that and fret about that because we can know God is in control and sometimes He puts us in hard situations so He can use us to accomplish His will. I, there's nobody here tonight that I know of that would like to make a trip to the hospital. I hate those places. I, di- I, don't, I just don't like to be there. Do you? I don't like the thought of being sick. I don't like needles. I don't like doctors. I, I don't like anything associated with it. But I'm telling you, sometimes God deems it necessary in, in His divine plan to plant us there, flat of our back, in a hospital room, and He does it for a reason. Because there's somebody there that needs what you know. There's somebody there that needs to see the light of your testimony. And God places you there that you might be a witness and a blessing to them. And I'll tell you, it is so encouraging to know that an all-wise, ever-loving, all-powerful God designs all of the affairs of our life so that they work together for good and His glory. You, you see, it's, uh, you know, I've heard people say, you know, I, I would do this and I would do that. I could really do great things for God if it wasn't for this. You know, I've, I've, I want to, preacher, but I've got this problem. Let me tell you, it's not your problem that holds you back. It's not your problem that defeats you. It's your attitude toward your problem. That's the determining factor. I, uh, somewhere I've got a little poem here in my Bible. I couldn't find it. But it, it's about the fact, you know, that the, the ship and the wind out at sea, and, you know, we can't, we can't dictate which way the wind blows, but we can set our sail accordingly. And, and when the winds are contrary... If we set our sails in the right way, that contrary wind ends up taking us to our desired location. The same thing is true in regards to our problems and difficulties. They'll make us bitter or they'll make us better. If we entertain the right attitude as Paul did, God will use those things for our good and for His glory. And even when we're weak, that's, that's really when we're strongest because it makes us to depend upon the Lord. Thank you for being here tonight. Anyone have a, have a word you, you want to say or anything, any comment, Brother John?